Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another uh, successful, I guess, who, who's 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 to say, I guess, uh, a potentially successful episode of The Great Cadian Songbook. I'm here, Jackson Wells, as always, with my illustrious co-hosts, Keegan. Ooh, illustrious. Really spicing things up yeah. this week, Jackson. I like it. Every believe, believe it or not, everything I do, it's all just improv. <laughs> none of this is none of this is written down. So uh, yeah, every week it's every week I go. Do I say something in particular when I start? And I the answer is no, I don't. Uh, so if you just make it up and then talk about it for like five minutes, uh, <laughs> that's good enough. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Keegan. Before we get started, mm. um, we're we're recording this episode on a very important day. December 1st, the day Spotify Wrapped comes out. Um, I was wondering, maybe give us your top five artists. Yeah, let's talk about it. I just did it like five minutes ago, and I'm super pumped. Um, coming in at number one on the artists, like every year, never letting me down as the old faithful Blink-182. <laughs> um, followed up by actually a couple that I don't think I've ever had on here before. I had the 1975, um, Bring Me the Horizon, The Lumineers, and Oasis as my uh my top five artists which was um which is pretty cool and then um my top songs were futures by jimmy world um constant headache by joyce manor right back at it again by a day to remember sweetness by jimmy world and where i belong by simple plan so nothing fits together here um but it is a lot of pop punk and uh apparently i really like pop punk so yeah how, yeah, how'd who, you do who would have guessed who would have guessed i did uh, I did pretty good. Yes, my top five artists. I got Jeff Rosenstock, the man. I'm the top point one percent, I think it was, or or point five or something of people who listen to him. So I am the one percent in this case, <laughs> I suppose. Um, and then number two, I've got a great Canadian band, Peach Pit. Number three, Bruce Springsteen. Number four, AJJ, which is I was saying before the show started, I listened to for a week straight and exclusively a week straight. I haven't listened to them ever since. So. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means. And then number five, I got Talking Heads. Mwah. I love you, David Byrne. Uh, in terms of songs, I got State Line by Jeff Rosenstock, number one. Love Theme from Born Hot by Chris Farron. Beautiful song. Scorpion Hill by Pup, as you know, we've discussed uh, on this very show. This Must Be The Place, Naive Melody. I think the live version by Talking Heads. Mm. Beautiful song. One of my favorites of all time. And number five, Brian's Movie by Peach Pit. Uh, that Peach Pit record that came out this year, it was really good. I really liked it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band, um, but they're really good. How long have they been around? Um, I think only a couple of years. I think their first album, I'm pretty sure self-titled, uh, was 2017, and they might have put out like an EP or two beforehand. But I'm pretty sure they're from they're from Vancouver. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, I I've heard them around. Um, I think I might have played them on my show back like a year ago or something like that too. Um, yeah, they're pretty good, yeah. but they're very they're very niche. Like you have to. I think really like their style to, yeah. to get into them. Yeah. They're like kind of like like a low key rock kind of thing. Like every once in a while, like their lead guitarist is really great. Um, he's got a really great mustache too. Um, <laughs> I like him, but it's kind of like it's it's a real vibe. They they put out really good music videos too. Actually, you should check out uh, "Drop the Guillotine," one of my favorite music videos of theirs. Anyways, um, so I just you know it's. It's a special day in the music community. Um, I feel like it was important to share that. But before, or I guess now we can move right on to the show. So, um, yeah, I, this week um, covering uh, history, uh, 
on my end, I've got Let Go by Avril Lavigne and Blue by Joni Mitchell. And then coming up later, we'll talk about Days in July from Brutal Blue Rodeo and Power in the Blood by Buffy St. Marie. Um, but before that, let's hop into uh, my first two albums. So I guess, um, what's the best one to start with? I, I think Joni Mitchell is a good place to start uh, for this one. So I've taken some notes, a little bit about Mitchell's uh, career. Uh, the problem with a lot of these older uh, either acts or bands is that their careers are so long and I kind of <laughs> want to give a little bit of history, but there's way too much to talk about. Um, but I do learn something every week, even if I don't uh, include it. I think my favorite... Um, Joni Mitchell fact uh, going into this is uh, that she hasn't released an album in like 20 years due to, I guess when I say favorite fact, I mean so more interesting. This is kind of sad. She's had uh, like for varying degrees of health issues, which I didn't, I didn't realize. So um, very interesting. But anyways, uh, yeah. So Joni Mitchell, guess uh, what country she was born in? It's is it Canada? Canada. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So Joni Mitchell <laughs> was born in 1943 in Fort McLeod, Alberta. Um, she had like a an, a, a an army dad, so she bounced around a little bit. Grew up mostly in Saskatoon, uh, where she you know found her love of music, and then she began playing um, the folk circuit, kind of in Toronto during like the early 60s. Super young, kind of a big place. You would see people like Neil Young, uh, Buffy St. Marie, who we'll get to, Leonard Cohen, and even even like Bob Dylan and stuff would go up there. It's it was actually a really interesting kind of time for music uh, in Toronto when there was like not much going on aside from that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of cool. And before so before Blue, she kind of settled in California, and really that's kind of where her career began to flourish. Um, I think we're kind of we. I, I don't know if we did this on purpose, but we've got a kind of a, a couple different people um, from Cohen, Young, Saint Marie, and Mitchell, who are like all kind of like in the same class, I guess, of Canadian musicians. Um, I guess we can talk about that later. But that was something interesting I found, kind of the crossover between the four, even if like maybe their styles aren't always the same. But when we get to Blue, uh, we're gonna I think comparing her to Leonard Cohen's interesting since that's an album we've listened to. Yeah, but we, we can talk about Blue. So Blue was her fourth studio album. It was recorded uh, 100% in Hollywood, California uh, for the label Reprise Records, which is an American record label founded by Frank Sinatra, fun fact. And it was produced by Joni Mitchell, um, as she does for basically all of her albums, I learned. She's like the sole producer on all of her music, um, which is super interesting. This album is very like relationship-based, um, specifically referencing, not specifically referencing, but... Um, uh, specifically alluded to famous musicians, even such as Graham Nash, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and and Young sometimes, <laughs> as well as James Taylor. Like this album's a whole bunch about James Taylor too. The album, uh, incredibly well received at the time, uh, continues to be well received. It's considered one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, Rolling Stone put out a 500 greatest albums of all time list this year. It's got varying degrees of quality, in my opinion. Uh, but she was ranked number three on it of all time and she's also the highest for exciting and another note i forgot to say about joni mitchell's personal life is that she along with leonard cohen is also a companion of the order of canada which if you remember from last week is canada's highest civilian honor um and also so is buffy st marie so we got a class of musician here that are very successful hmm. um so yeah, i guess i've talked enough about the background of blue and kind of Mitchell's life leading up to there, she goes on to have an even more successful career. But 
we're sticking with blue. So Keegan, what do you think this album so far? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I was saying right before we kind of came on and started talking today, like I've never really listened to Joni Mitchell. Um, I mean, I, I think I've heard blue, um, in this flight tonight at some point, but I can't, I can't really recall specifically. Um, I was actually really, uh, really blown away by this album. I thought that the, the artistry, um, her voice, the songwriting, I think it really had a combination of everything. Um, and it was, it was very surprising for me. Um, really, really great opener with all I want. Um, and I really liked the case of you as well. Uh, really, really strong album. I felt it was very personal. Um, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so for me, Joni Mitchell isn't like, um, it's an artist I'm like familiar with, but like I wouldn't say I've listened to uh, much of their, much of her music. Uh, I guess kind of my reference is probably the one everyone has, Big, Big Yellow Taxi, which is like probably her most successful song, I think. Um, yeah. Definitely like her most covered song. But yeah, so like getting into this album, I was like, ooh, I don't know. It's one of those like kind of new things to me, even though like you've kind of got so many ideas in your head of what she's going to sound like. And honestly, I was pretty spot on. This is pretty much exactly what I thought it was going to sound like. Um, and by that, I mean, this sounded good. So I like it. Uh, I guess maybe that's kind of my baseline kind of feelings on it before. Do you want to dive right into kind of your your big pros and cons on this one? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think like... M- I don't really know if this is as much of a con for the purpose of like what we're talking about. I think you mentioned that like for the production uh, that she did all the producing herself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to me from, from, I, I mean, we've kind of talked about this like in the past weeks too, like how, like how I feel about authenticity. Like I'm really big on like, Oh, like if you know what makes it authentic, I think that it's a good thing for that purpose that it was produced, that she was the one who produced it. However, um, I think there was there's not a loss in quality, but maybe in the overall production, it could have been better in terms of the sound of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone else had done it, like if a pr- professional producer at this time had done it, granted 1971. Um, but like, and, and that's just me being nitpicky. It, honestly, like that's just like one thing that I'm trying to find. On the whole, I think it's a very strong record. Um, I, I think all the songwriting, like I said before, uh, very very good um i think the feel of the record i know we talked about feel a couple times it it feels very very homey very um mm-hmm. you know sit down i'm gonna relax uh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna have a beer and i'm gonna listen to some Joni mitchell um and, and that's kind of what I, I get from the record i think mm-hmm. it's very very strong um a big fan of it definitely on my replay list um I, I honestly don't know if I have any uh, gripes with, with the record. I, I'm not sure for you how you feel, but yeah. I, I don't really have anything. Yeah, I think this one um, is interesting. We we mentioned earlier how, like, Joni Mitchell's a kind of a part of a class of, like, folk musicians that were coming up around this time. And I certainly think um, she's, like, one of the front runners. Like, we talked um, last week about Leonard Cohen and how he's, like – like we know he's good, but like sometimes it can be a little like too like wordy or at least for me to like the, like the actual like music that was happening throughout those albums uh, are like kind of bland. So I, I said last week that like, I think Leonard Cohen is a poet, whereas I think Joni Mitchell is a songwriter. Like yeah. she, she is writing like music and 
I think that really helps. Um, she's kind of made it like really easy to listen to, uh, like the, the fun songs are breezy, um, and kind of the more like down songs are like really heartfelt and emotional. And I think that really comes down to, um, her songwriting is also, I said, um, like Leonard Cohen is like a little, almost too smart for his own good. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're saying all these words and I'm listening to them, but I, I don't know too much. I think she's like, tells very relatable and like easy to understand stories in her songs and they sound like really nice when she's playing them uh i also had some production notes here like james taylor and stephen stills play on a couple different tracks Mm -hmm. so like kind of it feels kind of like a collaborative work a little bit uh in that kind of class of musicians at the time Uh, so i really liked that aspect I actually, I, this is one of those ones where I was like, I don't know if, um, like you said, it's on your replays. I don't know if it's on my replays, but like, if it, if I ever were to listen to it again, I'd be like, yeah, this, this is really good. Um, I guess my one note is that it kind of on that, what I just said is like, it's not like a wow standout and I'm going to like sit here and like dig in and like really, but like, it's like solid hundred percent through, uh, I texted you this weekend. It's short and sweet. <laughs> um, not that like less is more, but, uh, I find generally for me, less is more. Um, she's it's, it's to the point it's concise. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. actually really, really enjoyed, um, this one. If there maybe is, this is more of like an album listen as opposed to a singles listen for me. I'm not like booting up any of these tracks specifically um i will note uh that i i don't know if you noticed the the christmas song on this album are we talking about river yeah i like forgot that like i listened to it i was like oh i've heard this before or actually what happened was is i was listening to it and i was like this is jingle bells and then she started actually (gasps) singing the song and i was like oh i don't know if i've ever like consciously (laughs) listened to this song i think i've just heard it uh, in like yeah. a grocery store or something. Uh, but yeah, I guess maybe if I were to pick a single, it would be the Christmas song, the one that everyone's probably <laughs> most familiar with. Um, but yeah, that's that was that was the thing I was like, I had to Google this and I was like, man, did she just write Jingle? I was like, oh no, this is a popular song that is a play on Jingle Bells. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my, my big takes on this album. Yeah, yeah, no, actually, it's kind of funny because when I started hearing it at first, I'm like, this is not a Christmas album. And then I was like, I'm like, this can't be. And then I I was caught between, is this a Christmas song? Is it not a Christmas song? I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a, a weird thing for me. Um, and then and just to touch real quick on what you said about Leonard Cohen, and then I guess we can kind of kind of keep going. Um, the cool thing about this, like with it being a concise record, um, it doesn't take that like artistic license in a way like it, it, you know it's a songwriter's album yeah it's a it's a well-sung music songwriter's album like it's that that's what it is whereas Leonard Cohen you're like you took a bit of artistic license with this one um yeah and it I, I don't feel that here which and in some capacities it can be a good thing like when I'm listening to Radiohead and I go they took some artistic license I'm like that's good um but in in the case of of my boy Leonard and, and some other folks, um, it may not always be a good thing. So it's nice mm-hmm. that this was a concise record. Yeah, I, I think it, I, I I just think it's so interesting that at some point, um, unfortunately Leonard didn't make the cut. But like we've got kind of like this certain like group of like Canadian musicians that we didn't like consciously put on the list altogether, but kind of uh, worked out. But yeah, so that's that's Joni Mitchell's Blue. Um, I was a fan, you were a fan, so let's hop on to uh, maybe our next album. We can talk about it and then discuss. Uh, so, 
going up against Joni, as we've said, is Avril Lavigne's 2002 debut album, Let Go. So, uh, yeah, whoa, what a crazy uh, matchup. Uh, you're right, it is. Uh, I don't know what we were doing here. Uh, so, yeah, so background on Avril. Uh, she was born in 1984 in Bellevue, Ontario. Uh, she started this, like, she, okay, I'll just put it this way. She was 17 when she recorded this album. So her uh, life up until then, not a lot of points. Uh, so this will be quick. Uh, I, my biggest point uh, was that, uh, straight from her Wikipedia page, Levine also played boys hockey into high school and won MVP twice as a right winger in a boys league. So good for her. That's pretty pretty cool. Uh, and she was signed to uh, the record label uh, Aritza. Aritza, um, I don't know, it's a weird word. Uh, at 16 uh, on a $2 million contract. So, uh, damn. Yeah, imagine being I, 16. I wish I had $2 million <laughs> at 16 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. So, Avril's life up until then, you can talk about everyone's got the same things. Oh, they were born to be a musician. So, I'm not going to go go into it. Uh, but she, like, just like singing at church and stuff like that. Uh, not super interesting. So let's hop right into uh, the album. So Let Go um, was actually kind of uh, a tough rec recording uh, for, for Avril. I guess, you know, you're 17, you're trying to find yourself. Um, th this album started off with a lot of songwriting and recording sessions in uh, New York City when she was 17 that were basically all scrapped. They didn't work out. Um, and then she moved to LA to record this record. Um, There's a couple, not a couple different producers, like in the sense that... Um, like in previous weeks, there was like six producers on each song. There's just uh, this group, The Matrix, produced about half the record. They worked with uh, artists like Christina Aguilera, Shakira, and Miranda Cosgrove. Uh, mm. So shout out to uh, uh, them. And then also Cliff Magnus was kind of like the big producer of this album, uh, who didn't really have a ton of other credits except for Avril, so I didn't note any of them. But yeah, so like, as, like I said, this album kind of had some like tough recording processes and really interesting and i kind of think a lot of it speaks to levine's influence as like a 17 year old recording artist who's moved to la on a two million dollar contract to kind of get an album out a lot of like studio interference on this one they like wanted like really poppy um i, I pulled some quotes i'll just read them so magnus a producer who gave her ample creative control in the writing process levine wrote and magnus wrote songs losing grip and unwanted songs that she deemed reflective of her vision for the album. However, the label was not thrilled with the heavy guitar-laden songs that Levine was writing, prompting the label to look for other producers to match her demands. So, things not so good. Uh, another quote is, although she needed pop songs to break into the industry, Levine felt uh, her, her biggest single, Complicated, does not reflect her and her songwriting skills. Nevertheless, she was grateful for its success. She much favors the song Losing Grips because it's, quote, means so much more when it comes straight from the artist. So... This this whole pop music thing, it's a tough game. Yeah, so I thought that's kind of yeah. I think that kind of because um, this album is kind of interesting and kind of the things we'll get into. I, I've, that's kind of my background on it. I can talk about it a little bit. And we can push to you. Is that this is an interesting album uh, to kind of think about contextually because the songs you know um, off this one, this this album is like really single laden, like of big mm. tracks from the early two thousands, uh, complicated skater boy like two massive 2000 songs um but really when you dig into it it's not really representative of what the album is uh something's pretty like punk influenced uh rock influenced it's really interesting to see um this this girl who was basically signed on to be like uh, the next like young 
teen pop star kind of be like, no, I kind of want to record a system of a down songs and <laughs> really uh, power through this. Um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of my top level. This album is interesting, and then I'll dig into it after Keegan, you share what you have to say. Yeah, no, I I can feel that in the album. Um, I think it's always cool, and and you touching on on those points there. Now that you brought up those quotes and kind of the the recording process, it makes me kind of think a little bit about how. Um, and I want to touch on another band for comparison because I think it'll give some good context. Um, obviously, I'm very familiar with Linkin Park. Um, yeah. And the, a year after actually this record was made, um, they recorded their 2003 album, Meteora. And they really had a lot of push from the studios and from all these big corporations and all these big you know producer people. Hey, we want you to sound like this. And they're like, no, no, like we, we want to sound like what we sound like. We don't want to sound like what you guys want. And I think about that when I'm listening to this album. And now that you brought in those quotes and I think about how that was a group of six guys pushing back. What was it like for a 17, 18 year old girl trying to go, hey, I really appreciate all the super amazing success and two million dollars, mind you. However, I kind of want to sound like this. That probably has to take some major, like, for lack of a better term, some major balls to be able to be like, (laughs) no, I don't want to sound like that. Six dudes Um, who had recorded two of the most popular albums of all time up until that point. You know, it's just, and that's wild to me. And so how hard was this for her to be like, I want to sound like Losing Grip. I want to sound like, you know, probably a song like Naked or Nobody's Fool. Because when I listen to those songs, I'm like, wow, those are really good songs. And when I listen to Complicated or Skaterboard, or I'm with you. I'm like, wow, those are really good radio songs. And yeah. you can tell, and not to discredit the 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 greatness of those songs, because obviously they hold a special like mm-hmm. you know place in the in the. They certainly hall of still fame. sound good. Oh, amazing! And you know those heavy driven guitars that you were just talking about, how they're like, oh, I don't know about that sound. That's kind of what makes the album for me. I'm like th- those like punk influences those grunge influences i'm like yeah let's do that um but but i really feel that it's more of of what she wanted to do when you have a song like losing grip when you have a song like nobody's fool or naked um you can almost see the the kind of conflict in that um yeah as a whole like i i i love the album i think it's a really really strong album i i had no points where i had any gripes i think i'm with you and skater boy have been overplayed um, yeah. and, and that there. was when I was listening to them I'm like great songs but like damn like <laughs> I, I know this song you know so mm-hmm. um, yeah on, on a surface level I think that's kind of what I have to say about it um, no no dislikes I don't know about, about what you think or... yeah I think um, diving into kind of it, it's very interesting the way this like you can even talk about like the way this album is sequenced like a lot of the kind of big pop hits are like really early in the track listing and then the other stuff gets buried but I think that's kind of um, I wouldn't say it's maybe like necessarily for me like the toppest tier of kind of like that kind of era of like punk and punk rock like kind of influence stuff but it's certainly like an impressive feat that like kind of this album came out and then it ended up i I forgot to mention this but this album was like wildly successful one of the greatest best-selling albums of the 2000s um i think that's really uh impressive in its own right um yeah i i agree with you where like it's interesting to kind of see this kind of tale of two albums and like for the most part avril won this kind of 
like battle of what she wanted to make. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think you touched on it. I think Naked's a really cool song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really good like album, like closer too. Um, and yeah, I, I like I like also back to the sequencing, the way it starts off with losing grip and it kind of gets into those kind of big pop hits and they're like, okay. And then it kind of dives right into like the bulk of what the album's going to sound like. So yeah, I... I liked this one. I liked this one quite a bit as well. I was happy to kind of dig into her discography in a way where I was like, okay, I know kind of what she's gonna what she's gonna pull with kind of the hits, but kind of getting into the deeper cuts. I I thought that they it was they were really good. Um, very happy for her that she got to uh, make this and then continue on with her very successful career. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Um. I, I'm not too sure. I think I have more in the way of like comparison. I, I I think on like the thing with these albums particular is that I didn't. It wasn't like the previous leaks where I was kind of like set on one over the other for any particular reason. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a a discussion one for this one, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I don't have any maybe any more uh, specific the discussions about like this album. So I think we can get into it. Um, I think. Um, I think for me, kind of going into it, I also didn't have a ton of preconceived notions. Honestly, I was going to try to be edgy and go for Avril just out of like the meme. Um, but I think um, I think Joni Mitchell kind of uh, pulls this one out for me just because uh, uh, I, I think we've talked a lot about Canada or whatever. And I don't know if that's 100% relevant to these albums. Actually, Avril does have a song about her hometown that I um, acknowledge, but I'm pretty sure Joni probably does too. Everyone sings about <laughs> their hometowns. Yeah. Um, but I think Joni gets this one for me just because um, that album's just like so good front to back, even if it's not like um, bangers only for me. Uh, but that's obviously not even the point of the album. So that's not a complaint on my end. She just kind of, it's she's so like honest and like wrought in this weird way where i'm like i'm like not even like i I think listening to that album especially like right when it came out in the 70s 71 you're like oh she's really going in on like her like (laughs) personal life and stuff like this maybe the further removed you get it's not as like culturally apparent but i think i think blue is like a really fantastic album and without kind of even mentioning like the the crazy like impact and like value it's had on music um yeah i think uh i think we can continue to talk about avril definitely though because she's she's good yeah yeah yeah. i want to touch on blue real quick uh, just for for a quick second just because i was doing a little bit of reading on it too and like i like from from a gendered lens because i think that while it it gets talked about i don't think the importance of of looking at it from a gendered lens is is brought up to the forefront enough um for for first of all a canadian album like if we if if we're considering it a canadian yeah. album 1971 only two years off of or um from wheatfield soul which we already talked about um from a woman artist in canada which mm-hmm. those two things at the time i imagine would probably mu- like not have made making a record very very oh. easy um necessarily like already being canadian let's mm-hmm. you know this is um, the same year as uh, Leonard Cohen too, and it's the same year. Seventy-one. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um. Sorry. That's my bad. I don't know how I, how I missed that. Um. But you think about something like that, and how much of an impact this probably has had for for women artists, um, over the past God, what fifty years now, 
um like like just looking at it like that like i'm even looking at some some stats real quick too here um blue is ranked as the third greatest album of all time in rolling stones 2020 list which damn and, and not to and, and i don't want to say that for like the sake of like oh we're gonna let the other yeah you know things come in but just to like put the significance of it out there um you know, like, uh, she, I think she was, yeah, in July 2017, Blue was chosen by NPR as the greatest album of all time made by a woman. Yeah, I, I think uh, especially to, um, not not especially because the 70s and like music, it's like a, basically an awful time to um, really kind of be a, f- a female voice in music. But even like folk, which is generally considered to be kind of like an inclusive, you know, hippie, rah-rah, like uh, in terms of like, female artists like Joni Mitchell is like one of the few that you can like really think of from that time. Um, and she's writing an album about her breakups with two very popular musicians also in that scene. Um, and she's like, just kind of putting it all out there, um, in a way where she could be kind of writing like, like, like kind of like not silly love songs, but like kind of, you know, keeping it like really simple or whatever, but she's like Mm -hmm. goes in, um, she's talking about like her life and like what's been going on uh, in like both like her life as well as like the lives, like kind of the scene that she's in. I think it's really, um, there's really like a lot of implications in that aspect too, where like she's kind of going into it, into the scene yeah. um, and really pushing, pushing the boundaries in my opinion. And I think it's really powerful in that way. Yeah. And that has to mean something. You know, it's when you're listening to this record, like you feel that you feel the energy of that. Um, not to say that, like, you're not listening to to let go and look, listening to a few of those songs. And like, you know, there's a story there. It feels personal. But but and maybe it's an aspect of folk. Maybe it's because of uh, of the music that I listen to. And like, I, I am a big fan of folk. I, it feels that way. It's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed mm-hmm. to feel personal. Um, and to me, that that you know what I what I deem to be authenticity, um, that means a lot in insofar as comparison between them. Um, like I said, while while I can look at the production as like a knock on it, which it really isn't. It's just me trying to find something. Um, the fact that she wrote and produced this entire thing herself, um, not to knock Avril because. 18 17 18 year old kid um being able to do this wow yeah um but you know having that such a large studio presence having such a you need to sound like this and then the most popular songs in the album becoming those songs yeah to me it kind of creates that dividing line where if we're looking at these um in and of themselves um i i i just i feel pulled towards that emotion and that that this is what i have to offer take it you know yeah i i agree and um i think one of my kind of like concerns going into um listening to blue is like jordan mitchell's voice is really high and like sometimes i can find that a little bit grating but like she sounds beautiful throughout the album too like like the command she has over like her instrumentation and her like vocal range and stuff like she she could be singing like gibberish and she sounds amazing (laughs) Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's it's just mm-hmm. a really 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 good sounding record. Yeah, I think I think we're we'll, we'll probably call it there. I think it's pretty clear that Joni is getting this one. Um, I very happy that like we had kind of 
too though like avril is like definitely like a worthy um i made a joke when i mentioned her that we were like putting her up against jenny mitchell she was definitely worthy a worthy not even effort a worthy like exercise of music that she that she put out yeah she absolutely belongs in the conversation um for mm-hmm. sure um without a doubt i i think maybe in other cases if we were looking at different albums here if she was up against something else she might have even uh taken it yeah um, but i i think the strength of blue um really really just kind of knocks it out of the park here so i'm with you on that one i agree well in that case uh it's it's finalized uh buff or not I'm, I'm looking at her now. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. Uh, it's finalized. Uh, we've got Jordy Mitchell's Blue narrowly beating out Avril Lavigne's Let Go. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations to Joni. Uh, she Ooh. made it uh, up next on the list. Um, now looking forward, uh, Keegan, I guess you've kind of done the major research uh, for this kind of next matchup, so I'll leave it to you to introduce us. Yeah, so we're looking at uh, Buffy St. Marie's 2015 album power in the blood up against um what we got here is blue rodeo five days in july from 1993 um this one's a bit of an interesting matchup but i thought uh i think when we were making this one of the things that we were looking at too like both of these names are very very significant i think in canadian culture and canadian music um and so i think it's a nice little little matchup to look at um kind of that feeling of home from kind of two different aspects, which I, I think we kind of see here um, and really in the lyrics uh, of what we're talking about. Uh, but we're going to start with Buffy and I've got actually more than I think I've done on anybody else uh, for Buffy here on a bit of She's background. Got a very knowledge. long career. What a career. Um, like we're looking back into the early 1960s. Like it is really, really, really crazy. Um, I'm going to start with some, uh, some info on the album first, and then I'm going to kind of backtrack um, just for the sake of getting some some information across here. Um, Power in the Blood, 15th studio album by Buffy St. Marie. Wow. Um, released on May 12th, ni- er, 2015 um, on note True North Records. Let's, let's keep that one in mind. Certainly um, a Canadian label, in my opinion. <laughs> we love it. Um, the album includes both new material and contemporary recordings of some of her older songs. Uh, the title track is a cover of Alabama 3's song, Power in the Blood. Uh, from their 2002 album, you, you guessed it, Power in the Blood. Um, it won a 2015 Polaris Music Prize, which I know we've talked about, uh, I believe, one time before with Pup, I mm-hmm. think. They were nominated, uh, I think even... Um... I'm trying to, I think, I think uh, emotion might've been nominated as well. Emotion. Okay, cool. I know we've discussed it before, so I was yeah. just trying to get my boundaries on that. Um, but that was a really, really big achievement. Obviously Polaris prize, nothing to, uh, nothing to be put down, I guess. Um, and she also won the Americana music award for free speech at the 2015 ceremony. They had uh, Juno awards of 2016. The album won both Aboriginal album of the year and contemporary roots album of the year. Um, and she was nominated for songwriter of the year for farm in the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, I love you baby and love charms, uh, which are all songs on the album. Um, it features new and old material. Like we talked about um, in a redoing of one of her most famous songs from 1964. It's my way. Um, give some background on Buffy. She was born in 1941 on the Piapot 75 reserve in the Capel Valley in Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, she was abandoned as an infant um, and then adopted by Albert and Winfred St. Marie, a Wakefield, Massachusetts couple of Mi'kmaq descent. Um, she herself is from Cree origin her I believe her family, um, her family background. And she attended the university of Massachusetts, earning degrees in teaching and oriental philosophy and graduating in the top 10 of her class. 
Um, the cool intersection that we have here, which we have all of these artists talked about in our uh, in our bracket challenge here. Uh, she spent a considerable amount of time in the coffee houses of downtown Toronto's old Yorkville district and New York City's Greenwich Village as a part of the early to mid-60s folk scene, often alongside other emerging Canadian contemporaries, Leonard Cohen, Neil Young, and Joni Mitchell. Um, she also, reg this is a fun fact, which I wanted to include. Uh, she regularly appeared on Sesame Street over a five-year period from 1976 to 1981. And she, she breastfed her first son, uh, Dakota, during a 1977 episode, which is believed to be the first representation of breastfeeding ever aired on television. Very wow. progressive. We love this. That's so um, cool. <laughs> I thought that was such a crazy fact. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and real quick, I just want to touch on something from a CBC article I was looking at. Um, she modifies a UB40 song, sing her own song, um, incorporating traditional drums from Northern Cree. Um, she talks about decolonization, changing some of the lyrics, um, indigenous autonomy, uh, the right, right to rejoice in our own cultures. Um, some really, really, really amazing stuff here. She infuses like powwow and electronic dance and like dub and rock and country and spoken word. Yeah. Like, and I'll, I'll segue that into like, this is a groovy, funky album. Oh, what a man. crazy compilation of music. I was, um, I, I was like really, I, this was an album that I remember hearing about kind of around when it came out that I'd never listened to, but I knew we were doing this. I was like, hey, and all the lists, all the lists were like Power in the Blood, Buffy Samurai. And I was like, okay, I, this is worth, like, I feel like uh, historically we should listen to this. Am I going to like it? Who's to say? Mm -hmm. uh, first song comes on, I was like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. And then it continues on and on and on throughout the album. It's so groovy. This is um, every every week I kind of like try to pay attention to which album I listen to the most. And this is the one I found myself repeating a couple like extra times than the other ones because like it's it's musically rich. Um, it's lyrically rich. The woman does not hesitate to say like very important things. Um, yeah, this was. Uh, an amazing listen uh it's my um i think of the albums i hadn't listened to before starting this so far this is my favorite album uh so far that i haven't listened to she she uh it's so interesting too because we talk about buffy st marie's like history and how she like comes from this really contemporary um not contemporary uh she comes from this very like traditional like folk the traditional folk scene of like the 60s and 70s and she, I, I've found that a lot of those people who are still active today have either kind of like stuck to their kind of guns or have like just fallen off the deep end of like- I know where we're going with this, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Bob Dylan again and how like the man is not kind of held up in my opinion. She's kind of like constant, like this is like so innovative and it's so modern. And that's when I thought it was particularly fascinating that like half these songs are like from that era Mm -hmm. and they're brought back and i think that's really interesting because of the content of them and she's singing a lot about um indigenous issues um from the 60s um like kind of land rights and a lot of those things and a lot of those things are still issues that are going on today and that's something that like is constantly being acknowledged if not explicitly in the album like very at the forefront implicitly um and i think but musically kind of revamping them is really like 
uh, is a very impressive feat. First of all, um, like if you told me these songs were written today, that I would believe you. And like, that's the point. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really fascinating. Like what she did um, with that song. Cause when I read, Oh, it's half old songs. I was like, Oh, so she's just dragging up the hits for an album. It's like, no, she's really like revamping them. She's embracing like mm-hmm. new modes of music. Like we, like you said, one of these songs is like a cover of like a, an electronica band or something like that. Um, rewritten lyrically. Yeah. This album is amazing in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, hell you kind of like, you kind of knocked it out of the park there with everything, yeah. but um, no, like honestly, the fact that it's, it's so grounded in like community in in family in in unity, um, all these like, like super amazing, like what you'd kind of expect out of like the folk kind of hippie scene of like the sixties and like the early seventies, the same kind of themes you'd expect, but more grounded in, and especially indigenous issues and, and all these things that are not nearly talked about as much as they should be accompanied by just like, good music like oh, it's yeah. just it, it's one thing if you're you're talking about real issues and real problems and the music kind of sounds like crap like like you're like yeah the message is yeah. good but like is the music good um if we're looking at this from a musical point of view um writing a song and creating it in the first place is already probably difficult <laughs> enough but being able to take that in a completely different direction with a completely different sound to revamp the lyrics to update them to change things holy hell does that take gusto like yeah that's that's that is amazing to me um mm-hmm. and, and like to be honest with you i've probably never listened to buffy st marie in my life before no and, and, and like... i feel like a fool you know yeah. I, I i really 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 feel like a fool um because this is a really strong strong album musically and lyrically damn um, yeah, and even yeah. like, um, even when she's not like, she throws a couple songs in like, like Love Charms and I Love You Baby, which are obviously more just kind of like general, like one of them's called Love Charms, one of them's called I Love You, so like they're more like love songs or whatever. And even yeah. those ones like carry like throughout, like even if you're talking like, oh yeah, we're we're this is a very deep album with a lot to say, and like that's why I like it. Like yes, but also like even the fun songs are great. Yeah, it's. I I I will say musically for for my own purposes I don't know if I would like extensively listen to it again but I think mm-hmm. it's what you were saying with Blue like if I were to hear it again I go that's a really good record yeah. um and, and only because purely because of my musical tastes and my stylings of what what I prefer mm-hmm. um but for all like intents and purposes damn um an impressive impressive album very good yeah. I 100% agree. Um, I guess maybe we can talk about uh, Blue Rodeo and then kind of maybe compare and contrast because uh, these are two um, two different, but in some ways they kind of share similarities. Yeah, yeah. Blue Rodeo, Five Days in July. This is their fifth studio album, um, Canadian country rock band, Blue Rodeo. Um, it was released by WEA on October 26th, 1993 in Canada and Discovery Records on September 27th, 1994 in the United States. Um, 
It was the band's most commercially successful album. It's been certified six times platinum as of 2008, which I think it was up to eight times platinum um, by 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Um, very good record. I'm going to go through the lineup real quick at the time. Um, obviously, the three uh, three key pieces, we have Jim Cuddy on vocals and guitar, Greg Keeler on vocals and guitar, uh, Basil Donovan on bass, and then we have Glenn Milcham on drums, James Gray on piano and organ, and Kim Deschamp on uh pedal steel mandolin and guitar um the cool thing about this and what really drew me to this album is a little factoid that i got here um this album was recorded on singer guitarist greg keeler's farm in southern ontario in july of 1993 while the band originally intended for the recordings to serve only as demos they found that the songs had a warmth and spontaneity that warranted releasing the collection as an album guest musicians on the album included sarah mclaughlin colin linden and ann bourne this album was keyboardist James Gray's first album with the band. Um, I, I'm going to touch on a bunch of my notes real quick. And then Jackson, I want to get your opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I said that this is a beautiful love album. It feels like it can be played at a wedding, at a campfire, whatever. Like it, it embodies the feeling of, of what I think Canadian music is, what I think the Tragically Hip do so well, what I think obviously Blue Rodeo being kind of connected um, do so well. Um, it's a different kind of country and a much more personal country and, and even folk album to some extent that I think what we have to compare it to so far. Um, I think Shania Twain's woman that we talked about, uh, I believe that was, was it last week that we talked about that? Yeah. Um, the woman and me, uh, was a love album, but it was also like an overproduced Nashville album. It was kind of my, my thoughts from, from last week. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this one was recorded in a barn in Southern Ontario and was just supposed to be a bunch of demos. Um, you know, I, I think this album kind of solidified Blue Rodeo being one of Canada's bands. Um, you know, they're talking about out in the middle of Lake Ontario, the same snow is falling into the waves of my heart. Um, you know, really, really beautiful, beautiful album. Uh, what is this love is a song I really like too. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin on background vocals, very haunting, very good album. Um, Jackson thoughts. Yeah. Um, Blue Rodeo, um, multiple times on this list, I go, yeah, I know what that band is. I've listened to their music before. And then I listen and I go, Mm, have I listened to this before? And then I go about halfway through and I go, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard this. <laughs> and that, that's kind of the story I took um, with Blue Rodeo. Blue Rodeo um, to me is, uh, I think, hmm, what, how do I want to put this? I, I want to say that's not my thing, but I don't think that that's true. Uh, I think this is, this album sounds exactly like, like, like what, what it is. It sounds like I, I heard it at someone's barn hanging out um, or at a campfire, someone breaks out the guitar and plays one of these songs or it's on like someone's like radio or playlist or something uh, at like the lake on the summer. Uh, And that's a sound that I can get behind in those, in those scenarios. And I Mm -hmm. think it really like, it's like the perfect one of those. Um, if to, to like a similar to the Sarah McLaughlin, or not Sarah McLaughlin, sorry, she's on this album to the <laughs> Shania Twain, where I'm like, that sounds exactly like what that is. Yeah. I think yeah. Blue Rodeo is 100% that. Um, maybe w- what that is, I like a little bit more in this case. Um, but I, I, I actually found it really impressive too. Um, like Five Days of May, like has some like pretty like solid like guitar solos as well. Like it's not just kind of like you could you could kind of picture them recording this album 
sitting back in some chairs kind of around the studio. And then at some point you can also see them, they're standing up and they're just, they're like giving her. Um, And I think that's like a a kind of really impressive kind of uh, like line to walk. I think they do really successfully. Um, I think one thing I will note in terms of like maybe a negative in this case is um, this is one of those albums where like all I hear is Blue Rodeo's five days in July. I don't hear like, the songs really it's just like it kind of has a universal sound which like isn't necessarily a negative or like a positive um yeah i, th- I think the word i want to use is it term i want to use is, is background music but not in like a negative pejorative way it's like you can let sit back and it can kind of like be the soundtrack to your kind of like family gathering which you know what there's merit to that yeah and i really like that <laughs> part of it about it yeah, no, the, like that's a good point. I th- I think you're really onto something there. It does very much feel like background. Like if I was, you know, and, and not that I am a country kid because I'm not. I'm very much a city kid, but I I can imagine that you know a bunch of people out out in you know country property all hanging out, bunch of friends yeah. sitting by a fire, drinking some beers, having a good time. Um, you know, nice summer night. Um, th- that's kind of what this this gives me, and it's something that that I think. And I might go on a bit of a tangent here, so stop me if I go too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm listening to the Tragically Hip, and when I'm listening to, I, I think especially in the past few years, when I'm listening to the Arkells, when I'm listening to Blue Rodeo, when I'm listening to those bands, I feel, I feel something like 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 some sort of like patriotism in some way, and I can't, I can't put put a, I can't put a thing on it I, I can't depict what it is there's something about those bands and in, in, in this type of music that it feels like it's bringing people together not that not that Buffy mm. St. Marie is not doing that by the way not yeah. at all the point but I think with her music it's the lyrics that are that are making you feel that that community but mm-hmm. but and I, I keep using this word and I know it's so hard to describe, but it the feel of this record. Mm-hmm. It, it's different than Joni Mitchell. It's different than Blue. Yeah. Um, that makes me feel like like emotional, melancholy, chill. This makes me feel emotional, like I love my home, I love my family. I want to listen to this record while I'm listening yeah. chilling with everybody. And, and and there's something to that. And I don't know if it's a tangible thing. And and maybe you can comment on that, but mm-hmm. It's just a thing that I feel when I'm listening to like hasn't hit me yet. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it really hasn't hit me yet, Jim Cuddy. It really hasn't. I don't think. Yeah, I think um, the best way I can kind of maybe describe that feeling that you're having is I feel like when I'm listening to this album, I can hear the crackle of the fire and I can hear my friend's voice in the other ear kind of like murmuring in the background and not to like drown out the music, but like that's just like. I just feel like I'm there and like, I'm like, like they should have added some sort of sound effects <laughs> behind all this music, but like you, you don't need them. Cause like, it just feels right. Um, you're, it just, it, you're there, you're, you're hanging out with your buddies. Um, you're, you're chatting, you're, you're catching up. You haven't seen each other in a long time. That's what this album sounds yeah. like. Um, plus like just in general, like it sounds good. Like the guitar works good. Um, (laughs) there's a moment, um, in five days of May, the first song where it sounds like they like whiff like a lick or something, but I'm like, Oh, 
this is what you know exactly what i'm talking about or yeah, like oh yeah. this is what they're doing i i, I don't know why my first thought was oh that uh, did, am i the first one to catch this like <laughs> um but no i was like oh no this is what they're doing and it's it sounds really cool um and it's not just them kind of like wailing away they're like actually doing some kind of like interesting guitar work there um that, that was my biggest doubt on that kind of part but yeah mm-hmm. this this album this album feels good uh, it kind of good. feels like what the uh, album cover looks like. Um, yeah. If yeah. you can picture it where it's just like, aside from like the house burning, burning, um, feels nice. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm going yeah. to put you on the spot here. Yeah, Is yeah. this one of those bands where they were big outside of Canada? Yeah. I, and- I think I think they had a following in the South. Um, yeah. Like a little bit, not, not extensively. It's kind of like Rush. Like I like, there's like a rush thing in Louisiana. I don't know why. In like Texas, like I, there, just some Canadian bands, like they just kind of have their thing. Like obviously, you've got Neil Young, who are like, you know, everybody knows fucking Neil Young. But it, with like with bands like Rush and with Blue Rodeo, they're very much Canadian bands. But I think they have like a cult following somewhere in the United States, um, where people are just like, yeah, these guys are really good. It's hard to tell sometimes. I feel like I'm in my bubble, but bubble. Even like, even though I don't like listen to a ton of Blue Rodeo, I was like, oh yeah, Blue Blue Rodeo, the successful uh, country rock blood band, Blue Rodeo. Everyone knows them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think you kind of hit the head um, on that super nebulous term feel that we can't explain. This yeah. this band definitely has feel. Um, this is also one of those bands that I can kind of picture myself like stumbling into like a small like venue and like <laughs> accidentally they're playing in like yep. a really good way obviously not right now but like in general yeah um and, and that, that would feel nice and you know what i bet you the crowd at that show would be amazing well actually it's funny that you mentioned that the the most canadian show that i have ever seen in my life was on july 2nd 2017 in niagara falls uh butler's barracks we had Deer Rouge, um, who I actually interviewed on my my other podcast. Um, they opened for Stars, who opened for the Strombellas, who opened for Blue Rodeo, <laughs> who opened for City in Color, and and let me tell you what and and the guys from uh, from Letterkenny hosted it. Um, <laughs> let me tell you what a show. Um, I've seen Blue Rodeo twice now. I think I've seen them. That was the first time I had seen them. Um, They like there's something there. And and I I know I just talked about the feel and I know I keep going back to this. I hope it's not like uh, not not annoying. I don't even know if that's the right term, but they they know how to pull you in in a way that I think only they can. You know how when Mm -hmm. you're at like um. I don't even know. You know how when you're at like that band that you like or like yeah. you're like at that show mm-hmm. and they just kind of like they pull everybody into a moment and like everybody's just kind of like there and like it can be like a mosh pit like it can be like a silence, you know, it can be anything. Yeah. But they just make you feel that sense of like wow, we're all here together. Mm-hmm. Um the Arkells do that for me every time. I they never fail to do that. Uh Dallas Green does that. Never fails to do that and Blue Rodeo does that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not tangible, but it's just a thing that they do. And and I'm going to stop ranting because I do want to compare them. But um, yeah. this one is very, very hard for me. I will tell you that much. Yeah, I, I will say um, I had like a very like strong and easy kind of push towards um, 
Buffy on this one because I was like, ah, Blue Rodeo is just like a like a campfire band. And then you kind of evangelize the the power of the campfire band to me. And I'm with you uh in that in that aspect. I don't know. I don't know if I'm all the way with you on that yeah, one. But yeah, yeah, I think um we've got another we've got another bit of a barn burner here in terms of uh, comparisons. I think I, I started last time. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, you you know, it's it's tough. I'm gonna be honest. I like as I'm speaking, I don't have my mind made up. Um, mm-hmm. I I think when I'm looking at Power in the Blood, for for the lyrics and for the themes and for the sheer possibility of what that album could have been and then became, like it, it became more than I think what um what you'd expect it to be. Um, it it's it's profound and it's profound in the things that it's talking about, and that mm-hmm. means a lot. Um, and I, I think yeah. that means that means more in some ways than than what Blue Rodeo does. But I, I can't shake the feeling that there's something to that Canadianness or or, or or the the community that that they they mean to to a country. Like it's it's like the tragically mm-hmm. hip, and I don't want to use this to de- to define the matchups because I think it's unfair. Yeah. Um, but but it's there's something for me personally. Where I go, if I hear this record from the time that you know I'm 22 right now, if I were to hear this record in 20 years and I hear it hasn't hit me yet, and I've got some kids running around and I'm drinking beers with some buddies, like like it would make me feel that thing, mm-hmm. that 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 like that community thing, and and not to say that 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 Buffy doesn't know how to do that in this record, but it's it's the feel of the record that is the difference for me. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I still don't have my mind made up, so I'm going to let you talk first. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think to start with Buffy, I think so far and probably um, knowing kind of how I feel about the rest of the matchup, we've got Power in the Blood will be the album that when I tell people, hey, I'm doing this show about Canadian music, you got to listen to this Buffy St. Marie album. Like... Like all the other ones, like like the like the Joni Mitchell, I think's great. Um, even some of the other ones we've already had win, pop and stuff. Like I really like those bands, but this is one where I was like, You're not gonna expect what you listen to when you hear this album. You're gonna be blown away. Um and there's I think there's something that just kind of like in general listening to it. Um, I think that album's album's a feat, like you said, that um I didn't expect or got to and I'm like I'm very grateful that I got to hear because, like, man, that's yeah. she. She really, um, she really goes in there, and it's really good. Um, and I think, I think for me, I think that takes precedence over um, Five Days in July. I think partially because uh, I think the Buffy album also has this. Just sounds good, and I like listening to it. And yeah. she like. We talk about talk about production. Like the production on this is so tight. Like uh, whenever you're bringing in, um, like kind of like your traditional, like your your instruments, like your physical instruments, you put them together. Like that's a mix that like it, it's not. Like, I'm not saying it's like an easy job. But, like it can be done. Yeah. And then when you're also introducing kind of like the electronic aspects, and then she's even bringing in a lot of like drums and choir isn't the term but I, I can't specifically remember what you would call um kind of what they're like chanting or whatever uh bringing those together and kind of making it sound seamless 
is really um, impressive and not something I've ever heard before. The mixture of like like the like indigenous chanting and like electronic music, like obviously that's done, but uh, it's not something that you hear all the time. And I think it yeah. works really well. Um, I think Buffy's a really strong creative force on that album too. And then Five Days in July is like, I, I like listening to it. I, I want to like sit back and just kind of like vibe a little bit and listen to it. But I think it it doesn't take that extra step for me yep. that the Buffy album does. So I think for me, I'm going to strongly stick with that. And then maybe we'll, I don't know, duke it out or something. No, I, I think you make some good points. And I mean, I'm more inclined to kind of go with my rationale from actually our first episode in talking about Pop and Our Lady Peace. Um, I think intellectually, like with that one, I knew that Pop was the the, the stronger album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of feel that way in this case with Buffy as well. Like intellectually, like when I think about it, the things that it does are stronger and that's fine. Um, for me, it's hard for me to detach or detach my emotional connections to music, especially because yeah. like, I'm so invested in some of these things that we're talking about. Um and so I am going to agree with you um, after having pondered it for a little bit. I, I do mm-hmm. think Buffy is the stronger album because of the sheer amount of things and how well it does those things. You know, talking about, um, you know, indigenous culture, things that need to change, bringing in these indigenous instruments, the pure changing all the sounds, reinventing this music. It just does more. Um, yeah. and, and that's not to take away from from the feeling that that I get from five days in July, because I think the fact that it was recorded in a barn um, in Southern Ontario, I think the fact that it's raw, I think the fact that all those things are there, that does mean a lot. Um, does it live up to the sheer um, challenge of what Buffy does? I don't think so. Um, so I, I'm going to go with you on this one. I'm going to say Buffy as well. Um, as much as it pains me to, uh, to knock five days in July out, I think it's definitely the right call. Um, and again, like with everything, I think if it were up against a different, uh, maybe not as strong album, Five Days in July would have fared better. Yeah, um, I definitely agree on that. But but the the sheer the sheer force of of Buffy on this one is uh, takes it. I agree. Um, yeah, I think. Well, I guess there there you have it. That's <laughs> uh, I, I I agree with you, and we've decided. Uh, so Buffy Saint Marie's Power in the Blood has a. Uh, taken out another strong contender of blue radios five days in july so like i said before congratulations buffy uh you got this one and yeah so i guess that kind of does it for this week looking forward i was trying to pull up um this kind of our next matchups and then i had to double check i had to double you hear my issues i had to double check online this guy's name (laughs) Uh, uh, but the problem was is i googled it so uh, our next group uh, includes a a French uh, French language album, and so I googled him just to get his name right, and the Google results all came out in French. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is making things confusing." Um, so, anyways, <laughs> next week um, we have ah, uh, you did the you did the thing again with the uh, with the with the uh, now I'm just I've, so, I've I'm ruined so it. I, I I'm lost so it. sorry. <laughs> it's Celine Dion's falling into you. I think so. Yeah. So next week we've got Sleepy Dion's <laughs> falling into you going up against uh, Jean Leloup's uh, L'Amour et Sans Petite. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure that one out uh, a little bit more in advance for next time. And then our other matchup um, will 
B, we've got uh, ooh, another. Sim- simple why, plans. Why don't you just I'm do so it? sorry. Simple plans, no pads, no helmets, just balls, and weekends, the trilogy. Or trilogy, sorry. The weekends yeah. trilogy. So uh, next week will be the conclusion of round one, and it will also be our conclusion uh, before going into exam season and then the winter break. Ooh. And we had a schedule that we might probably push back a week based on classes, I think. Yes. Um, so yeah. And my other note is this is something I did purposely, but now that I'm thinking about, don't know why I did. Weekend's trilogy, fun fact for everyone, is a compilation of his first three mixtapes. And I said, let's do it. And you said, okay. And then we did. Um, so yeah, get get get, uh, get fully charge up those wireless headphones for that one, folks. Um, I'm scared but, yeah. but excited at the same time. Yeah. So I guess uh, <laughs> on that note, you know, everyone listening, if you're writing them, good luck on your exams. If you're not writing them, make sure you shouldn't be and you don't have an exam to write. Check that one out. Um, but until then, have a happy winter break and. Uh, Oh, Canada, which is so lame. I've got to say something better, but I've said it twice in a row now. So now you've you've done it. Now it's got to stick. So, oh, Canada, we're going with it again. Such a shame. Have a good night, everyone.